But I tell you what, um, it's 8.30 and I want to try to start uh, start on time and end on time. I know, I know about half of you are already in your jammies. Uh, and remember the rule is, you know, your shields, if you just kind of fall asleep on each other's shoulders, that's okay. You just kind of lean in like, just like that. That's perfectly done. So I... Um, Ah, all right, here we go. So let's pray and let's go. Lord, send angels. Amen. So then right at the last minute, I thought I should read to you from, oh, no, look at that, the invisible book. Can I make it appear? That's terrible. I can't make it appear. From the little prince. There it was just for a moment. Did you read the little prince when you were young? So here's the clue for tonight, your bedtime story. Goodbye, said the fox, and now here is my secret, a very simple secret. It is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. What is essential is invisible to the eye, the little prince repeated, so that he would be sure to remember. Men have forgotten this truth, said the fox but you must not forget it. You become responsible forever for what you have tamed. So you can find things almost anywhere if you look hard enough. Um, I've been trying to take you to a place where you'll become more comfortable with the troubles that you face. I'm trying to figure out precisely how to do that. So to start, I want to try to give you a canvas of what your life looks like and to try to get you comfortable with that. And then as we go, I think what we'll do is take up some of the things uh, which torture you most directly, loneliness or unhappiness or self-doubt. We'll, we'll have a go at those later. But first, I've tried to move you to a place where you see yourself in a world and hope is possible. So we waste so much time being anxious and afraid and worried. And you know this, if you've been around me, um, for me, everything has to come down to four or five words. So for me, it's because we feel lonely and unloved or in modern, you know, political or philosophical language, alienated and oppressed. And so we feel unprotected in the world. Even if you read the news today, it's uh, just the political news is, um, is a hostile world where, where both sides feel vulnerable if you read sort of beneath the surface. And when our feelings get the best of us, and that doesn't mean your feelings are wrong, they're often the first reaction. And I always want to remind you, you know, I went to pastor school and not to philosophy school or psychology school or doctor school, but um, at least the basic observations of things happen and we feel those things and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's, it's often very good to get in touch with that, but often our feelings get the best of us as if they were the only thing, as if they were the only factor in our lives. And so rather than welcoming today and tomorrow, as hope. So I'm working with this definition of hope as welcoming the future. 
we dread the future and we're often in despair. But what I've tried to do over the first couple of weeks is to show you people who do hope. And so we've sort of gone on this course where we've met martyrs and people who were with other people as they died and then died themselves. Um, We've met people with restless hearts, those disciples who came to Jesus and asked him where he was staying. And then the disciples last week who, uh, on what should have been the greatest day of their life, are broken by it. And yet, all of these people recover from this initial shock, and they go forward with resilience and even happiness. And just just hold that for a while. Um, someday in the future, we'll talk about the difference between happiness and joy. You know, the basic theological distinction is that happiness is an emotion and joy is the confidence that your life is aligned with the holiness of God, no matter what happens. But we'll work on that in a later date. What's interesting is that each of these people we've met have found a way to move through their initial shock and even their initial brokenness and to live with joy. So the question is, you know, how how we can do that too. And so what I'm trying to do is set a world in which you can live hopefully, but it's not enough just to say, you know, cheer up or be hopeful. I mean, if people could be hopeful, they'd be hopeful. Um, It's very difficult and it's proved especially difficult over the last year. But the trick, I'm at point number four there, is to see the world for what it is, um, to see the truth. Now, I'm going to say to you, the trick is several different times and it'll have a different answer each time. Maybe it'll be up to you to try to fit those things together and make them work. Uh, When everything is true, then everything becomes a synonym. So... um, Jesus is true, is light, is beauty, is forgiveness, is love, is forever. So, you know, the trick is to see the world for what it is. And then the bit from the little prince, this is the takeaway, that God is not limited by my sight line. So what's very interesting in the, in the, in the world today is that people think that I'm the master of the world because um the world ends with my sight line. Now you hear this in all kinds of ways and don't mistake this as me here as me saying this is bad. But for example, um, you know, if you can't, you know, um, if you can't measure it, it doesn't matter, for example, or um, scientists um, deal very much, much with the material world, what it is that they can see and measure. Um, that's not a that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's what they do. And I think you've been around me long enough to know that I think that the battle between science and theology is largely contrived um, because people talk past each other. But that's probably for another day. The only thing I want to convince you about right now is that there is something beyond my sight line and something beyond yours. You know, the fox. What is essential is invisible to the eye, which is terribly interesting, of course, because essence is the way that we talk about divine things, the divine essence. So if you listen carefully to the world, much of the trouble that we have is that people see differently. And so they actually inhabit different worlds. And 
this goes with the world breaking down into tribes and a lack of a common understanding about what is virtuous or what is reasonable or what is true. Um, I can't save the world. Um, that'll have to be Jesus' work. But maybe for us, we can just have a little less anxiety about the world in which we live. So if we can confess Jesus, if we can say he's the truth, then um, even when we're in trouble, even when we have pain, even when we're sick, uh, we can still endure and not be destroyed by that. And I've, I've said to you in the past, and I still think this is true, the ultimate stretch of faith is to receive everything from God's hand as a gift and a blessing. Even my own death, even, even my own pain. And that comes with the great confidence, which is that Jesus loves me, and Jesus never leaves me, and Jesus never hurts me. So these basic things, that Jesus loves me, and then, you know, from the very first night, I've tried to talk about proximity or nearness or touch, right? Jesus loves me. Jesus never leaves me. And Jesus never hurts me. And so if I could move us all in that direction, our lives would be much more lively, but also much more gentle, much more hopeful, and uh much more satisfying. So one trick, number five, is that we could see angels. I've known a person or two in my life um, who seem to have this gift. They don't talk about it much and I don't talk about it much, but you know, if there's a particular time when I can get them to tell me stories, I enjoy that. But you don't even need to go that far. This is um, the gospel, the last verse of the gospel from last Sunday, which I didn't do much with in my sermon. There was so much going on. But if you'll let me sort of translate this generously, this is how the last verse goes. And Jesus was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, surrounded and threatened by the wild animals. And then it got worse as Satan came tempting him. But the angels arrived, kicking up a little dust. So what's interesting, the word that is that we translate as service or ministry, uh, the word that's used for deacon and deaconess, um, it's two words that are fit together, which means kicking up some dust, which is exactly what happens when you're busy serving somebody else. And if you and I could remember that the angels are here all around us all the time, um, kicking up a bit of dust, that would be good for us. It's everything from um, when we baptize a child and we read the verse, usually from Mark, because it's a bit shorter, but the same verse in Matthew says, each of these children has a guardian angel. It's everything from confessing that we have a guardian angel to um, if you read um, and you shouldn't read much of this, but if you read, so I've, I've read um, some accounts of exorcisms where there may be a person in the group who says there's always an angel present at an exorcism. 
Now, those are usually mystics who speak that way. And so you have to be a bit careful with that. But the point is the same. That it's not only Jesus who is near you, but Jesus who sends his angels to surround you. And when you worry about your children or you worry about your spouse, if you worry about your own life, um, even if you worry about your church or your family, you know, part of the reality is to remember that the angels are there. You know, part of the ability to see beyond the horizon, to see not only that Jesus is there, what's essential lies beyond the horizon, not just that Jesus is there, but also that his angels are there. And what happens then is you begin to build this picture or you begin to build this story of your own life where you're never alone and you're always loved and you're never in danger and you can't be destroyed. And though you may suffer, that suffering doesn't have the last word with you. So um, I'll give you um, tonight as your bedtime story. Uh, this little bit from Second Kings six. Now, if you read these things, King, you know, First and Second Kings are a mess. Um, Israel is completely. Uh, it's just, it's just a disaster. The back and then the fourth, and and so, um, this from Second Kings six, though, um, just this is the middle story. There's a kind of a happy story in front of it and a sad story behind it, and I don't really want to do the, especially the sad one because it's so difficult, but. See if you remember this. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp, my ambush. I will set up an ambush at such and such a place. The man of God, Elijah, sent word to the king of Israel. Don't go to that place. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So basically, king of Aram is next door. He's going to ambush the Israelites as they combine. Every time he tries to do that, Elisha from the Lord knows um, what's up and he protects the Israelites by letting him know. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me who's the traitor. Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak of in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. So now this is your life, right? So you're the Lord's person. And um, suddenly you think you're surrounded by forces, um, pagan and stronger than you. Uh, and you wake up in the morning and your life is horrible. They went by night and they surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. So he's done for, right? And so many mornings, you know, you and I wake up and we think that we're done for. When we go to 
bed at night terrified and we wake up the next morning exhausted and you know you're worrying about your kids and you're worrying about your spouse and you're worried about your job and you're worried about the world and you're worried about america and you're worried about politics and you're worried about all the treaties back and forth and, and all the change that's happening and you know who's in charge and what will be safe and where shall i move and what will i do oh no my lord what shall we do the servant asked don't be afraid the prophet answered now that's become a regular refrain in the things that we've we read Jesus transfiguration. Don't be terrified. Um, the Vietnamese martyr, the very first night I live in hell and yet I find joy. Right? Strange stuff. Or the, the, you know, the, the, martyr, uh, the saint in the hospital who visited people as they died and was consoled by the fact um, he left an extra chair for Jesus to sit down. Don't be afraid. And of course you're asking or would be asking, you know, how is that possible? Well, extend your sight lines. So watch. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So there's two of us and there's dozens, maybe hundreds of them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see beyond the horizon, right? Open his eyes so that He's not limited by um, his own sight line. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so, you know, the movie title, if some of you who are of age, right? The hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So you have Elisha in the middle, circled and circled by his enemies, and they encircled by his saviors. As the enemy came down, Elisha prayed to the Lord. So this is very interesting, right? He still says his prayers, even though he's able to see what the world looks like. When you can see what the world looks like, when your sight lines are extended, say your prayers. Lord, send angels. Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, said Elijah had asked. Elisha, sorry. Elisha told him, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man that you're looking for. So now you have this sort of mystical fog, right? Where they can see, but they can't see. So it's, it's, you just, you just have to kind of go with the story and not presume, you know, what you think blindness means is exactly, you know, what it means here. Elisha told them, this is not the road. This is not the city. Follow me. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and they were there inside Samaria. So now the persons who had surrounded Elisha are suddenly surrounded. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those who you have captured with your own with your own sword and bow? So, you know, do you just massacre the enemy? I mean, I, this is a very interesting text just for America right now, right? Would you kill those who you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So mercy and hope. So he prepared a great feast for them. So the king serves. He prepared a great feast for them 
And after they'd finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands of from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. So kindness is returned with kindness. If you keep reading, it doesn't last very long. But, you know, sort of the single point um, I'd like you to think this story turns on is the ability to see in a supernatural way. Or if you can't see, at least the ability to trust um, that what the Lord has told you is true. So um, here's the point that the angels go with us. I've been surprised by the number of people um, that I've met in church uh, who believe neither in angels nor demons. It's just surprising to me. There's not a lot that I can do about that. I'm just, um, and especially sometimes that people don't believe in demons. It's a very odd thing. Uh, You know, a demon is just an angel gone bad. And to sort of limit limit the world as if, there's God and there's us and there's nothing else. This is a very odd way to think about the world. So um, there's a creation story and among the creatures are the angels. And while you may have um, body, mind, and spirit, um, they don't have body, but they do have superior mind and superior spirit. And so uh, this is, you know, one of the old rules that you never, you never talk to a demon. Why? because you'll always be outsmarted. So we have bodies, mind and spirit, you know, where all our bits are glued together. For angels, only mind and spirit. But occasionally when they become visible, they can be terrifying. And so this old rule of discerning spirits, which is first angels startle, and then they console, and demons do the opposite. And that was the story on Sunday, right? First, the devil, Satan comes to Jesus. And what does he do? First, he consoles, and then he attempts to terrify. Angels are opposite. Christmas, the angel comes to Mary or uh, to Zechariah, right? And they're undone. And then what does he say? Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. So it's this terrible startle. And then blessing. Um, And the reason you're blessed or the reason that we would be blessed is that we come to recognize angels for who they are, that they are um, a mark of God's care for us. And they come primarily as messengers and warriors, and they are here to serve us. That's the really odd thing, that this creature who can do all sorts of things that we can't do and has seen all sorts of things that we've never seen, comes to serve us when we're troubled. And because of that, then we feel safe and we feel uh, relief and we feel joy. So um, if you could begin to believe this, your life would be a bit better. Um, I'm far past the point of trying to talk people into things or making arguments for such, although there are, you know, great uh, possibilities for this. C.S. Lewis makes some case for this. There was a philosophy philosophy professor um, a generation ago named Mortimer Adler at the University of Chicago who wrote A Defense of Angels. Um, But I wonder if you could be convinced just by the fact that 
Christ loves you and looks after you. And this is one of the ways that he blesses you. There is something supernaturally tender about the Lord surrounding you and the ones you love with angels. And I give you the text here about, about guardian angels, you know, from Jesus saying, you know, take care of your kids. You know, you make sure you take care of children. And remember, they have an angel who is oriented toward the face of God. In heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. So this is the notion where, you know, um, Lutherans don't make too much of this. It's one of those things I'm always afraid that, you know, we don't talk about because the Catholics talk about it. And then, you know, so if they talk about it, we won't talk about it. And that's to our impoverishment so often, especially given the fact that the Catholics have things like scripture and liturgy and baptism and Eucharist and, you know, some other things that are quite nice. Um, there's even a tradition in the church about um, making friends with your guardian angel. Um, uh, in my own head, the jury's out on that a bit still, but I, um, partly because it goes to discerning spirits and figuring things out. And so that can get difficult or even dangerous. But at the very least, in your prayers tonight, you could thank God for sending an angel to watch over you. If you, if you think about it that way, then you think about your angel as primarily there to guard you and guide you. And so, you know, it's bowling, right? To guard you, is that's bowling with bumpers. And guiding you, that's like uh, three strikes in the 10th frame. So an angel's task is first to guard you, to keep you on the straight and narrow between the bumpers. I often think to myself, you know, uh, when I think back on sins in my life or things I've done, um, I often, want, I think to myself, you know, how often my guardian angel must have had to cover his eyes, um, look away. You know, you wonder... I think you'd have to go some to get your guardian angel to abandon you. And perhaps that doesn't even really happen, but really you might, and I might do a better job with life if we remembered that we always had company. And then also, um, come what may, we're in God's hands. And part of the reason that we're in God's hands is that God has sent an angel to go with us. So in willing to live within the way of God, you, you cannot be destroyed. I've said the same thing to you about your baptism and about the Holy Eucharist. I mean, you go to the Eucharist. Why is the Eucharist the most important thing? The Eucharist is Christ. The Eucharist intertwines you with Christ. If the devil had to destroy you, he'd have to destroy Christ first, and that's impossible. So Jesus is not destroyed, so I'm not destroyed. In the very same way, the story of angels ends with the victory of good angels over bad angels. You know, it's part of the Revelation story. And when you walk with the angels, when you're together, near, proximity, together, touch, protected, when you when you carry on 
um, in the way of Jesus, and you ask him for angels to guide you and guard you. And you do all that's in your power to live a holy life. Um, You can rest assured, not because of what you've done, but because of what God does to you. He loves you, forgives you, guards you, guides you, and protects you, that you'll be okay. And if you can absorb that message, if that can be your story, um, you will find that fear is diminished. So number 10, angels stack the odds in our favor. Now, I've said this a couple of times. You shouldn't confuse this with bumps and bruises. Life is difficult. Um, This life is very difficult. It was difficult for Jesus. It was difficult for the martyrs. Most days in my devotions, I read the story of a saint now. It's amazing the number of these folks who get beheaded um, or, you know, skinned alive or, you know, pick something. Um, So, you know, I've said this to you before, but, you know, wisdom isn't cheap and we pay for it with pain. So having your angel nearby doesn't mean you won't suffer. This, the world is filled with suffering. Suffering is our lot. I think, you know, it'd be fun to talk to people who are a little older here. Um, you, you would find that um, much of their lives has been constituted by suffering. Um, things they've done, certainly, but things done to them and things done to the ones they love. And, you know, what will you do with that? Um, you can throw your hands up and say, I'm all alone and nobody loves me and I'll be destroyed and this will be the end of me. And you can waste every day, uh, you know, in fear and anxiety and worry. That's one story you can tell yourself. Or you can tell yourself a story that you learned from beyond the horizon. That Jesus came for me from transfiguration down to the cross, out of the tomb, into the Eucharist, sending his angels, forgiving everything, protecting me, and come what may I'm in God's hands. That story will take you to a very different place. And if you can rehearse the story, if you can control the story, if you can be part of the story, this is part of the reason there's a third commandment. This is why you never miss church. This is the reason we have the daily Eucharist. We're not that good at holding on to the story. The story needs to be rehearsed, right? People who say, you know, I can get the same thing on a golf course. I mean, a stupider thing was never said. You know, that's not the story. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. There's almost no place I'd rather be than on a golf course. The beauty of it is is surreal. But that's not the story of Christ baptizing you and angels surrounding you. And so the liturgy, you know, not made up as you go along, whatever the pastor feels like, but no, the liturgy that's been tested out for 2,000 or 4,000 years and the beauty of music and the smell of incense and the light of candles and the best vestments we can buy, and the joy of stained glass, and the bells that ring, and every possibility reminding you that the place is full of angels. On a Sunday morning, there are thousands of angels in that sanctuary, and there's no safer place on the world. It's the safest place in the entire world. And that's the story you take with you as you go out um, now by yourself.
So um, if you can hold that and, and uh, use that as you go. And then finally, you know, 12, pray for angels. So you know, I've given you some very short prayers. And I pray to God that the Holy Spirit is waking you up in the middle of the night. And, um, you know, part of what you're saying is, Lord, help. Or, um, Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy. To that you can add this, Lord, send angels. You don't really need to tell him what to do. He actually knows who needs angels, and he knows how to get them from here to there, and he knows what time they should arrive, and it'll all work out just fine. You know, this whole notion that we have to sort of tell Jesus what to do, tranquilo. You know, he's, he's very good at being God but he'd like you to play along. Um, so these very short prayers, and you know, if you said it a thousand times before 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, it wouldn't hurt you a bit and it'd probably do the world some good. So Lord send angels. Um, it's another way of rejoicing in the reality of our lives. And part of it is, you know, it's the story that we tell ourselves. And part of our problem is we tell ourselves a false story. So the trick then is, is to tell yourself a true story. The story of God who loves you, who sends his only son for you, who emerges from eternity, who goes down the mountain with you, who suffers willingly with you and for you, who sends himself back to us in the Holy Eucharist and in Holy Baptism, who speaks tenderly to you in scripture, and who surrounds you with angels, assuring you that he only wants your best. So no matter what happens, you know, it's gift and blessing. All right, that's um, 9.04. It's no surprise to you that I can go over time. So I tell you what, um, let's pray. But I really would beg you, I mean, I really would beg you, uh, if you're doing anything at all, like across the course of this, if you could um, just spend a little bit of time praying for these things. And, I, you know, I don't want to be kind of a, a jerk about it, but, you know, I also want to say, if you don't pray about these things, you know, what do you expect? Right? Here are these gifts that God has given us. And he basically says, if you could only ask for them, they're yours. You Just tell me where to put them. I'll flood the landscape, Right with mercy, with forgiveness, with protection, with angels, you know? So, you know what? Flood the landscape. Say your prayers. Say your prayers. It's Lent. Um, you need something to keep your hands busy. Say your prayers. Keep going. And then um, see what he does with it. It's not your, you know, outcomes don't belong to you or to me. Outcomes belong to God. But our work our work belongs to us. And among that is to say our prayers and tell our story. Okay. And you'll see, you'll see. I mean, I promise you, this is Chesterton, right? Christianity hasn't failed. It's never been tried. It's not that it's been tried and failed. It's that we don't try it. I'm begging you to try it. I'm begging you to mark time, right? Not just the 40 days of Lent, but, you know, it's been a year since we've been in this whole crazy state of, masks and distance and church and all this been a year, right? One long year. If you can think about, you know, imagine what it would be like on this day next year, if you said 
Lord, send angels a thousand times a day. And I literally mean a thousand times. It, it might take you an hour or half an hour, maybe, depending on how fast you work. But um, imagine if you said to yourself a thousand times a day, Lord, have mercy. Right? Classic prayer. These prayers, just by the by, you know, that's a classic prayer for an exorcism, as is glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. It's like it's impossible for evil to surround you when you say that aloud, right? It is like it's like a force that pushes out against the evil around you. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. These things have filled, you know, they have filled, they have filled the lips of Christians for um, thousands of years. And it's the reason they've survived. So anyway, I mean, I, there's so many things I just, I want to talk to you about. To my last story, I mean, what comes to mind to me now is, I remember um, 60 Minutes once went to Mount Athos, you know, this um, famous island that's run by monks outside Greece or in Greece, but it's independent. Um, in any case, you know, this notion of pray without ceasing, they all day long, you'll see them picking olives or tending grapes or building a wall. And you can see their lips moving the whole time. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, or Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy upon me, a sinner, or some other prayer. And I remember, I can't remember who was interviewing the the head of the abbot, but um, he said, oh, I noticed everybody's like, oh, people are praying. And he says to the abbot in kind of a snarky way, he says, but you're not praying now. And the abbot goes, how do you know? It was, it was just so genius, right? That his, his prayers are with every beat of his heart. And so, you know, that's the place you and I want to get to as well, that, that with every breath, you know, with every heartbeat, you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night, when you're terrified, when things are difficult, when you can't see the way out, when you can't see over the horizon, you know, what's important for you is to do what you can do. And among those things is to pray for angels. All right. Sorry, too long. Um, here we go. Let's pray. Watch, dear Lord, with those who wake or watch or weep tonight. And give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick ones, O Lord Christ. Rest the weary ones. Bless the dying ones. Soothe the suffering ones. Pity your afflicted ones. Shield your joyous ones. And all for your love's sake. Amen. All right. Love you all. Thanks for making time and getting together. It's always nice to see your faces. Um, you know, keep going. You'll be fine. <laughs>